0: Good morning Minneapolis. Oh, well, <laughs> good morning Minneapolis, good morning Tucson, Um. good morning other beautiful cities all around the world. Um, my name is Lavi Alva and I'm an extreme extrovert. I remember in my last podcast I had talked briefly, I was like, why is it gonna be my intro now? I was gonna say, um, you know, good morning Tucson, I love you Minneapolis. It didn't really flow, you know, it still hasn't really hit me Um, life sometimes throws a little bit of curveballs for you. You think that you're going to do something and then something else happens. So, I just wanted to talk to you about something that I thought was very interesting in regards to um, addiction. So, recently I've been studying the um, requirements for our. HT ABA therapy and for those that don't know about that um, registered behavioral tech and applied behavioral analysis there's a lot of biases that come with this career and that's what I'm hoping to figure out <laughs> maybe those biases are true maybe they're not um, a lot of what ABA is is it's the promotion of good behaviors and trying to um, eliminate problematic behaviors, um, such as biting, yelling, screaming, stuff like that. And um, after doing a little bit of training um, on ABA therapy, something started to roll in my head about addiction. Um, I know some people might think of this as controversial because I'm not trying to say Addicts and people with autism are similar. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm saying is the behavioral um, process is kind of similar. Um, anybody who's ever um, worked with people with disabilities or people diagnosed with ASD, autism, autismo, any of those persons, kind of know, you know, the difficulties and the beauty of working with those particular people. But for those who do not know much about working with people with disabilities or specifically ASD, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of things. So based on experience, I'm not a person who is diagnosed with ASD. So if you are a person who is autistic or diagnosed, um, please feel free to uh, message me on Twitter um, Tandem, Tandem, that's a, <laughs> that's an overseas app. <laughs> that's a language app. Sorry, guys. Um, Twitter, um, or Instagram, La vielva Uh, feel free to message me and let me know if this is wrong or, you know, anything like that. Um, because I want to know your feedback. It's important to me. Anyway, um, but, As a person that has had a little bit of experience, I've had about four or five years working with people with autism, um, people, um, diagnosed with autism on all sorts of spectrums. And what I realized is that, okay, so this is just one, um, one organization, one situation, uh, one person, me, and my experience. So, when it comes to people with autism, sometimes you have a client or someone who is nonverbal, or someone who is, um, you know, unaware of the strategies that they can use to inhibit their be- in- behaviors. So, um, when you go about life, life is kind kind of stressful. It's complicated. It's difficult because as a person with autism, not referring to me, um, but based on my, you know, work experience, you know, you might not have the verbal, um, you might not have the words, you might not even have the motor skills to, um, get from A to B. And so let's simplify this for a little bit. So say you're a person, um, that enjoys the the sensory like sensory input means like the smell um looking at something uh, physically touching something um eating something you enjoy the sensory input of plato right when you see orange Play-Doh, you just play with it. It makes you feel calm. It makes you feel happy. It's also distracting a little bit, you know, because you're sitting there squishing the Play-Doh. But around, you know, you need to be at school or maybe you need to be at work or something. I don't imagine people are at work. I feel like at this point, you know, people are grown and, you know, you never know. People are at different levels of their lives, but you know, this feels so great. This is such a stimuli. (laughs) And then someone comes, right? And you're feeling yourself. You're like, man, you know, I know I'm at work or We'll say school because in my uh, situation, I've always worked with adolescent uh, young children, four to five. And so imagine you're at school, right? You're in a preschool setting and you're like, you know, it's noisy in the classroom. There's a lot of things to learn, a lot of sharing and understanding turn-taking and it's a complicated sense if you put yourself in a three-year-old to five-year-old mindset life is kind of complicated life is still complicated um that's the human experience anyway so you're in that class setting and um you know you're just enjoying sitting down playing with your play-doh and play-doh time tends ...to only last about 15 minutes. So now it's time to put away a substance... ...or substance, sorry. (laughs) Addiction. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it's... ...it's time to put away... ...a sensory item that comforts you. And everyone's like, okay, it's time for math. Let's clean up. God, you don't like math. God, math makes no damn sense. The teacher's gonna make you sit there... The Play-Doh is put away. What are you going to do with your hands? What are you going to do? Like, it doesn't even make sense. The numbers. It doesn't even make sense why we have to do this. It's just really frustrating. And so the teacher says, okay, friends, you know, we got one minute. And one minute is coming and man, you're, uh, you're, you just feel the Play-Doh in your hands. You see the color. The color is beautiful. It's just... It's so calming. It's so relaxing. It's such a beautiful color. And now you're feeling the Play-Doh. It's soft. It's... It's relaxing. It's quiet. It's a quiet activity. When you hit the Play-Doh on the table, it doesn't make noise. It's a quiet substance. In... Quiet object. Sorry. I, I don't want to get people... um. Confused with the addiction in the, um, (laughs) with, uh, the items. The item. You feel really calm with this item. Now the teacher tells you, okay, it's time to put everything away. And everyone's sitting down at, like, whatever, math table or the math activity or whatever you're supposed to be at. And you're sitting there... With your Play-Doh. And what does the teacher do? She looks at you and says, Hey, were you not listening? It is time to put away the Play-Doh. It looks like someone was not listening. Bob, Junior, Allie, whatever. uh, Kiku, um, Alejandro, whatever your name is. Put away that Play-Doh. And now... Now now life gets a little complicated. Because you really don't want to put away the Play-Doh. Why? Who the hell wants to do math over Play-Doh? That makes no damn sense. (laughs) That makes no logical sense. Even to an adult. Like, that makes no damn sense. I'd rather uh, play with my Play-Doh than freaking do trainings for my job, or like, go and, you know, do something else that I need to do that is so tedious and unenjoyable. Why the heck would I want to do that? So, of course, I rebel. I say, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to sit here with my Play-Doh. Oh, boy, now it's a disruptive behavior. Now I am disrupting the class. Now the Play-Doh is taken away completely. And I am unable to play with it. Until I can show that I'm listening. Life is complicated. And we have to be patient with these people. And when it comes to addiction. I kind of want to broadcast the same sympathy. Not for everyone because, you know, characteristic factors. Unlike autism, autism is a diagnosis that someone is born with. They cannot, they're not, it's not developed, it's not created, it's not something that they choose. It's something that you're born with and unfortunately, and fortunately, you go about that um, experience in your life. If you are a person diagnosed with ASD. But taking this kind of example and applying it to addiction, for me, makes a lot of sense. Because with addiction, we go about life, right? You might be going um, on a date. You might be going um, anywhere. And that societal discomfort is just lingering. And sometimes for some people, it is societal discomfort. But for others, it's not a societal discomfort at all. It's just a habit. So imagine you're going about your life, right? And you're like, man, I'm going to go to the pool party. I'm going to go to the pool party. Um, There's some of my friends there. There's some new friends there. There's people that I find attractive. There's people that are important, maybe, in my job. And what I find really interesting is once you become an adult, these sensory and um, emotional, physical um, comforts are labeled as not age appropriate. So for example, like me, I have, I'm so scared of taking the plane, right? I'm so scared of taking the plane. And I have to admit, sometimes I, I'm an, I'm a frequent flyer. I do fly more than most people maybe, and then maybe less than some people, but like, that doesn't change the feeling that I get about flying even if I've flown many many places the the action of the plane moving up into the sky causes me anxiety and I'm fine once it's in the air but then once it comes down I'm like oh I don't know it gives me a little bit of anxiety and I think that it's so interesting when we become a certain age, let's just say 21, that all these, like, simple regulations are not age-appropriate anymore. So, like, me, luckily I'm a five-foot, you know, one, small, short woman. And I have occasionally brought, like, a pillow or a stuffed animal on the plate. You know, nobody looks at me funky because they're like, oh, whatever, maybe she's a student, maybe whatever, she's a young adult. Because of my short short stature, a lot of people really don't bother me in regards to that. But having a stuffed animal on the plane actually gives me a little bit of comfort. Is it age appropriate for an age, like a 30-year-old woman? Some people would say absolutely not. You know, and... There has been times where I legitimately thought, you know what, you're right, that isn't very appropriate. Instead, I'll get on the plane and drink a few vodka soda waters with a line. This is an adult-oriented, um, comfort You know, like, cause me, I, I don't like to be sitting on the plane and feeling a, a tremendous amount of discomfort. You know, there's ways that people say like, oh, you know, like take deep breaths or meditate or, you know, just sleep or take some THC if you're in a legal state, whatever. Um, I say that for credibility anyway, but like, you know, you might be taking any kind of sources. doesn't matter. But why are these substances so much... Like, why are they viewed so normal? You know? Like, why is it appropriate for a 30-year-old woman to be like, Man, I had such a rough day at work. You know? Like, I'm gonna go drink a few beers with my friends. Everyone would think that's age-appropriate. They're like, Yep, that's the way to go. That's fine. But if I go and, you know, snuggle with my pillows and stuffed animals, that's, like, looked down upon. What if you're a man? You know, what if you're an NFL player, and you have to abstain from alcohol? What do you do with that discomfort? You can't bring... Well, I guess you could. Kudos to you. But there will be people that look at you. You know, if you're a big, strong man, NFL player coming on the plane with a stuffed animal, people are going to laugh. That's the truth. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's the truth. That's how society works. And I just don't, this doesn't sit well with me. It just doesn't sit well with me. I just don't like it because you're going to say it's okay for a businessman after a long days of work to have about three whiskeys. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic, so I think everyone drinks, always drink like me. Maybe he only has one. Maybe he's a, a, a tempered, you know, tempered normal drinker, but, um, you know, maybe he only has one and he's fine. And, you know, he just goes home. I know from experience, like, at least in my life, that never happens, you know? Like, sometimes it's nice to have a hug. Sometimes it's nice to, like, lay down and be like, okay, I just <laughs> want to be away from the world. And what I don't like is that we don't normalize these actions. I, when watching TikToks and stuff, I always, you know, kind of see these people that are, like, open on uh, social medias. You know, a lot of these people, like, um, when I say categories, right, like, uh, people with disabilities, people with addictions, uh, people that, um, I don't know, maybe feel different in regards to sexuality. I'm queer, so if you're queer, that's not different for me, but for some people, that's a little new. You know, they're not used to being queer, they're not used to, um, I don't know, being, feminine or masculine or whatever they are in their identity. Sober. Sobriety is new for some people. And I, I notice that on TikTok, a lot of these things are being more visual, like more, oh, like they've always existed, but they're more available now. Like Native Americans, they've been around for forever. But because of TikTok, it's nice because we get to learn about the different tribes. We get to learn about different cu- cultures. A lot of things that people, at, at least millennials and older, I believe, um, have very skewed and wrong... Um, information about those cultures. And when we were going to school, they they taught us um, not the truth about most of those individuals. And it's nice to, you know, see people that are verbal about these things and being like, hey, this is the truth. This is what is happening. This is how we actually say things, stuff like that. And sorry, I went kind of on a tangent um, with this like little behavior thing, but I guess overall, I'm kind of glad to see it. I'm glad that people see a little bit more of this. And one thing that I hope that people can realize is that emotional regulation, when we hear about like, okay, behavioral techs, helping people with disabilities, helping people with emotional regulation, because they have behavioral quote unquote problems, problematic behaviors. It's not that they have problem behaviors. (laughs) They don't actually... The word problem is really kind of biased. Because nobody has a problem when it's their particular behavior. It's a human experience and it's a human reaction. How we interpret that behavior is how we deter... Like, is where people get that biased. You know? Like... It pisses me off specifically when like, for example, veterans, veterans or people that live on reservations, like I experienced this in Minneapolis. I am only one person and I'm only like one being, you know, people, I could be totally wrong, you know, maybe there's about a group of 10 people that are in a focus group and they're like, you know what, what you're saying on your podcast is totally not true Please message me. Please let me know. I want to know if this is right or not. But I know from my own um, biased like experience, because I am Latina, one, white skin, from the United States, um, my experience is going to be different, communicating and understanding and learning about these situations. But anyway, one thing that pisses me off is that we have people that veterans... Right, uh, veterans are people in our community that have struggled a great deal. you know, and I'm going to more focus on Minneapolis just because I've lived in Minneapolis for um, 29 years, and Minneapolis is a great place, but one thing that I've realized is that a lot of people on the street are veterans. A lot of people are on the street are veterans, they are Native American, and they are struggling. They appear to me that they are struggling. They appear to me um, that they are sometimes, you know, su- suffering from addiction. And something that just does not settle with me is that as a society, we glamorize so many alcoholic tendencies. And I realized this when I went through rehab. I was like, it's so frustrating because there will be a group of 21, you know, 21-year-old girl, girls just out of college. And they're all, like, having shots. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, it's your 21st birthday. Let's have 21 shots. You're like, this is so fun, you know, with the beer pong and the, you know, chugging the kegs. Okay, let's sit back a little bit because I've engaged in that behavior, obviously. You know, I've gone to college. I've engaged in that particular behavior. And people are, like, showing, like, even on advertisements, you know, young, uh, successful, you know, people that are dressed nice, having fun, like, man, if you have a good life, you drink Bud Light, you know, (laughs) one of those kind of things. And I'm like, okay, this pisses me off immensely, because me, I'm an addict, okay, if I went out you know, and people are like, oh, it's because you're an addict. It's different. Okay. Well, hold on. Hold your thoughts. Okay. Because if I made a Facebook post and I was like, yeah, it's my 30th birthday, 30 shots, 21 shots. People would be rushing and being like, okay, bitch, where the hell are you? <laughs> where, what is going on here? Like what, what's going on? Like, are you triggered? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's, I, I appreciate that care. But within our society, we normalize a lot of those behaviors. You know, when you're a young person and you're like, oh, let him, let's get him drunk because it's his 21st birthday or it's his birthday or whatever. Why? Why is it okay for those people when it's not okay for veterans? That like people that have been, you know, have been doing tremendous crazy things. help our country. I don't support war, but like, for example, like, I don't think veterans are treated very nicely. Yeah, people can say, oh yeah, they get discounts, they have benefits. (laughs) Do they though? Because in Minneapolis, I've seen a lot of disabled veterans on the street. Some of them have addictions, some of them don't. But if you had to do crazy things like killing people and like, you know, having to follow demands that you don't like... And seeing other people in your group die in tremendously horrid ways. And then you're going to come and laugh at them when they're drunk on the street. Be like, oh, the local drunk. Why? I've never understood this. And it makes no damn sense. One thing that pissed me off, too, is I was on the bus, so I was on on my way to work. And I think I mentioned this in another podcast, I can't remember. But I had seen a, a man at the bus stop in Minneapolis, and he was passed out drunk. And no one helped him. I was on the bus myself, you know, at... The it just zoomed past him I looked at him and I wanted to help him but a part of me was like no just let him go you know just, just let him stay there it's not safe it's not right it's not socially acceptable like for whatever reason I made an excuse I didn't go and help him a lot of people didn't go and help him but I didn't go and help him and I have ex- like I'm an addict I understand him If we were taking this addiction seriously, I would have got off the bus and helped him. I would have been like, oh man, that guy's dying. But because of our society, me, I've even had that bias. I was like, oh no, it's okay, just leave him. Why? Why, why, why? This makes no sense to me. I don't understand. I don't understand why we advocate for such unhealthy behaviors, drinking, and then we go around and laugh at the people that are in poverty. A laugh at the people that are using like alcohol as a coping mechanism. Why? Because of discomfort. Because it's acceptable, but not acceptable. You can't, you know, it's not age appropriate to maybe bring a toy on the plane for your own well-being. But it's okay to, like, have three vodka drinks? Doesn't make any sense. Obviously, there's laws and, you know, restrictions to the use of alcohol and drugs. But when it comes to addiction, we pre-register this in people's brains. We, We make these happen. It makes no sense that the poorest of populations have access to drugs. It makes no sense. It makes logically no sense. I could go all day about this, but I'm not going to bore you guys. It's just something that I'm passionate about. And um, since I'm, you know, trying to be trained on my ABA training and start work, I I really want to keep this in mind. I want to see if I can apply, um, you know, other behavioral strategies to addiction. I was talking to someone that I, um, trust and I was telling them how, um, it's not always your fault that you're an addict. Yes, it is. And yes, it isn't. You know, I like to play devil's advocate, but in a way, like there has to be a motivating factor in your life to make your life in addiction more like more or equally, if not a little bit more satisfactory than your life in addiction. But the thing that people don't realize is sometimes it's so driven in the family dynamic You know, if you're sober, does that mean you can't hang out with your family? Does that mean you can't hang out with your cousins? Does that mean you can't hang out with your friends that you've known for 30 plus years? Maybe, maybe you can, and you can set boundaries and you can say, hey, you know, whoever, let's just name him, um, Santi. Okay. Um, Santiago. My friend Santiago, anonymous person, um, I've known for 30 years. Every day, like every every day, every week um, on Fridays, you go and um, play bingo. And it's one of the most enjoyable times in your life. You know, yes, alcohol is involved, but you, you know, the thing that you enjoy is you in you take that and drink that alcohol because not only does it make you feel, and like, loose and enjoy, enjoying the moment, but it also makes you, like, less uncomfortable. Not that you're not uncomfortable with Jose, or whatever. Oh, Santiago! <laughs> it's not that you're not, um, you know, comfortable with Santiago. It's just that, like, your friend... That you've been doing this activity with for years. This is how you've bonded. You know, people don't realize that they're like, okay, you have a relapse. Like, just be sober. Like, what what was wrong? Nothing was wrong. It was just that some some experiences are just really hard to say goodbye to. You know, what if it was your grandma? Every, every Friday you go and play bingo with her. Yeah, you, pl- you drink a few beers, but the aroma, the taste, the smell, the laughter, it's something to hold on to. It's something that's enjoyable. It's something to look forward to. And, you know, maybe grandma doesn't go to bingo unless she drinks a beer. You know, maybe she doesn't go to bingo unless it's at a bar. And those are consequences and boundaries that you're going to have to set up for yourself. And for some people, it's not damn worth it. It's not. It's not. And it just sucks because as a person that, you know, is maybe supporting or helping or trying to, you know, be there for someone with an addiction, sometimes life is complicated. Sometimes life is hard. And those little moments egg on the addiction and it's hard to let go of and i feel this um immensely you know because when i was going through rehab like a lot of people like would be like oh i'm i'm you know i'm glad that you're bettering yourself i'm glad you're doing this yes of course <laughs> but there's also a coping like a coping situation, a coping experience, you know. Some of your friends don't want to stop that, and that is their right. That's fine. You know, but it's hard to be sober when you might have to say goodbye to a few friends. You might have to say goodbye to a lifestyle. You might have to actually say goodbye to things that you genuinely enjoy. And it's a coping experience. (sighs) Addiction is not just a situation of choice. Yes, it is your choice to walk across the street, drive across the street, go into a friend's house. Like, you know, getting kicked out and going somewhere else. It's... It's a situation, it's a life experience And for some people it has become habitual Some people it has become normal Like sometimes people are like Oh, everyone knows a person or two Or of somebody that's been in and out of jail You know Several DUIs um, Several, you know Things going on And you're like, man, this guy's just Or this woman is just not figuring shit out For them it might be normal You know, you don't know their situation. You know, maybe they're homeless, and maybe jail is a better alternative. Maybe they're so used to it, it's not even the consequence. A uh, consequence of it is not even that severe, and that's why I kind of want to tie this a little bit to ABA therapy, is when you go through ABA therapy, um and you're a therapist, you have to learn what the person prefers. You have to learn, like, hey, if client A has a problem, which we would never refer to them as client A, but I just don't want to make any up, any names at this moment. I'm just feeling lazy. But client A, um, just doesn't want to sit down for snack time. You know, what is his preferred activity? Um, maybe he really enjoys coloring. So we're going to say, hey, if you sit down, have a few bites of your snack, feel free to color, you know, it's, it's an activity that he feels comfortable with. And he enjoys, but the thing about this particular situation is I can't implement my joys on the client. So, like, for example, like, if this client really enjoys, um, you know, coloring, and you say, hey, you know, just have a few snacks, have a few bites, um, then you can color, like, it's fine, right? But if I went and said, hey, you know, we're not going to color today, we are going to do math, and then you can go sit down and have snack, Like, no. Like, you'd be like, hey, you know what? You can sit down and have snack, do math, and, you know, you'll just have a great time. That person doesn't even like math. They're not interested in math. Like, that's not going to motivate them whatsoever to sit down and eat snack. You know? Like, if you're like, oh, man, this kid looks like he's going to like cars. Maybe he doesn't even freaking like cars. Maybe he likes Barbies. Maybe he likes coloring. Maybe he likes beading. But if you apply your own biases and say, okay, this kid is going to just play with Barbies and then he can go eat. That's not going to change a behavior because that's not promoting the motivation for him. And that is a concept that is very interesting for me because I feel like as people that, you know, a person that struggles with addiction, it's very similar if you're going to be like, hey, you know, if you're used to going to jail and you're like, hey, you know, you get a DUI, whatever, or you get caught with possession, you're going to go to jail, you know, then you're out. And then you can go and have a good time. You know, as a person that that's not a very heavily motivating factor, they're going to be like, eh, who cares? I'll just finish my time. I'll go back to do what I, doing what I need to do. You know, maybe you have maybe you're used to that lifestyle maybe you like that lifestyle and the motivation to get out of jail or uh whatever a rehabilitation or whatever is more is more rewarding than actually putting the time in and in aba therapy um we kind of talk about you know time because we're talking about children here okay um get Sorry if this gets confusing, I'll, I'll try to make it not too com- complicated, but with applied behavioral analysis, um, in our society, if a child hits another child, right, it doesn't seem appropriate to be like, hey, you know, now you can go off to the next activity. If someone does something like bites somebody, scratches somebody, hits somebody, they gotta go to timeout. This is like the adult jail. You know, you have to go out and do something, fix yourself, blah, blah, blah. Fix your well-being, calm down. You know, then when you're in a healthy state of being, potentially, I guess, quote-unquote, you can get out of timeout and uh, continue playing. But the thing is, the getting out of the timeout has to be rewarding. You know, like getting out of that timeout has to be like, man, I cannot wait to go out and play with my friends. I cannot wait to go out and play with my, you know, sensory toys like Play-Doh or whatever, bubbles or whatever. I can't wait to do these things. That's why I'm so motivated to sit down and behave correctly, have a quiet voice so that after the f- three, five minutes, whatever it is, then I can go back and play. So in regards to addiction, the getting out of the help has to be more rewarding. It is more rewarding for some people. But what's important is also the time in when you're going into rehab or when you're educating yourself about a a sober life. If you're getting unreliable sources, if you're getting sources that are not supportive. If you're not surrounding yourself with people that support this situation or even really understand it, it's not going to be very motivating. You know, it it's so complicated, and this is the one thing that people don't understand is that sometimes as adults it's so nice to have a drink, and but as an alcoholic, you're like, okay, um, you know, with the five step, the twelve steps, and of the book, and they're like, oh, you know, you don't have any control over alcohol, blah 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 blah. Yes and no. Your environment plays a huge part on whether or not you're sober. If you don't have the supports, it's not going to be very realistic for someone to be sober for a very long time. It makes no logical sense. If you're in rehab or if you're in whatever situation, uh, rehabilitation or jail, once you get out, if there are people that are like, hey, oh, thank God you're out. I'm so happy. Like, let's just engage in the, these behaviors that we were doing before because we're just so happy and this is just what we do. You know, it's not uncommon, you know, it's not uncommon to not do that. And I think that's what's so tricky about understanding addiction is it's really not one size fits all. Some people are going to practice 100% sobriety. You know, no drugs, no alcohol, no anything. But other people, it's going to be a journey. Sometimes they will say, you know what? I had one drink, I'm okay. Now I just have to make sure that my other factors are okay. You know, like I'm not going to drink, but maybe I'll smoke. Or maybe I don't smoke anymore, so I'll treat myself to one or two beverages. I'm not advo- advocating that any of this is healthy. I'm just saying that this is unfortunately and fortunately a human experience. It's a human experience that has a lot of factors and not one size fits all. If you were treating a behavioral... Um, You know, diagnosis. You would be like, okay, how do we go around it? How do we figure out what this behavior is? um, You know, why? What is the reason for this behavior? Why did it um, come about this way? Why has it persisted for this long? In ABA therapy, this is the things that you think about. And I imagine, I'm hoping that people that you know work with people with um, addictions kind of kind of think the same way. You know, like. How how does this behavior evolve? How did this happen? What is the real reason? You know, people that um have autism, sometimes when they're on a lower spectrum, the reason why they act out is because they don't have the resources. They don't have the words. So like they don't they can't tell you, "Hey, no, I don't like when you touch me. I don't like when you take that toy away." And so the only way to express it Is to hit someone. To bite someone. Because that's an immediate response. A physical punishment. That will get someone to get on their feet. And immediately stop the action. It's human common sense. You don't have to have a disability to understand this. It's human common sense. So when we're thinking about people with addictions and they're drinking immense, huge amounts of alcohol when they're engaging in self-harm activities. Why? Why? Because they might not have the resources. Maybe they don't have the supports. Maybe they are homeless. So before you look at somebody on the street and you make fun of them, Think of these things. Think of these things. And give people patience. Also give people patience to learn at their own speed. The human experience is so diverse that some people, they have a different path. They have a different, a different way of learning. And in their life, they will learn things that maybe I perhaps will never learn. And that's the beauty and the curse of it all. But also, it depends on the person. Maybe, maybe the pros and the cons are not that significant. Maybe they're really different. You know, whether you use, whether you not, maybe it's not a big deal. And that's something as a person... If you are a supporter or if you're dealing with someone who has an addiction, this is something that you have to be mindful of. It's not your fault. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. You might have to set boundaries and you might have to respect other people's boundaries. Always respect boundaries. I don't even know why I said sometimes. Always respect people's boundaries. But whether or not they make sense is not really a concern. Because some people have experienced a life where some of those consequences are not really that significant. And sometimes they are. Man, I went on a long tangent about that, huh? (laughs) Thanks for listening to me. I just really had that on my chest. And I've been spending a lot of time studying the um, RBT registered behavioral tech and i just thought that was very interesting i thought that there were a lot of similarities and i'm hoping to kind of do my own little research on this and kind of hoping that maybe this um work through behavioral technician like work that i can like maybe better understand people that are uh, addicts and and i know people are like oh well how are you going to do that well i'm Just based on my own experience, I want to kind of know if we can apply those particular, um, things to other people or whatever. Just a thought. Don't worry, people. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like, you know, just thoughts, just thoughts, ideas. And I'm hoping that, you know, in the future, maybe we can best understand a lot more of these problematic behaviors. Not only with people with disabilities, but with people that, you know, have addictions too. And I'm not saying that any of those people are similar. People with disabilities, they are born with those disabilities. They, um, you know, it's not their fault. But what I'm trying to discover is when people are like, hey, you know, alcoholism is a drug of choice. Um, this is what I'm trying to discover. I'm trying to discover whether or not addiction, um needs to be treated similarly and I guess all people in a more medical field might say of course it is but the thing is in our society we really don't behave that way towards people with addiction you know we don't look at them so seriously as we do others um, especially if they are um, ones who are stereotypically um, people that grow up in poverty or you know people who have gone through war you know for me anyway in my experience i feel like alcoholic tendencies are more ignored and like oh yeah that's what people do like ah oh, that makes sense you know and i i'm interested to i don't know i'm interested about this topic i want to see if that's really true because in my heart i really feel that addiction is a serious, serious um, mental illness and that, you know, it should be taken more seriously than it is in our society. But anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to me. Um, I will let you know. um, Well, just keep posted stay posted. Listen to my podcasts. I'm excited to talk more about behavior and um, how it kind of contributes to our society. And before I go, I just want to let you know that do something good for yourself today. Um, Sometimes doing nothing at all is something. You know, I've, I've been doing this podcast outside on my porch and The sun is beautiful. I see the mountains, the cactus. And, you know, it might not be a crazy busy situation and I might not be really physically doing anything important. But for me it is important. For me it is important um, to get this off my chest and kind of um, talk to people about my experience and my thoughts. So do something similar for yourself. Um, Stand up for yourself today if you need to. You know, if you feel that maybe someone is misrepresenting you, you know, say it in a respectable way. Be like, hey, you know what, that's not true about me. Um, stand up for your boundaries. You deserve it. You know, if someone's maybe pushing you to do something that you don't want to do, say, hey, you know what, I'm not really feeling that today. And you don't need a reason. You don't need a reason. Stand up for yourself. It's your life. If you're feeling a little bit sad, maybe a little bit hard at work. You know, make sure you take your deep breaths. Make sure you have your water. Make sure you eat. Take care of yourself. Take care of your well-being. You're an important person. You're alive today because you're important. You know, a lot lot of people haven't got as far as you. You made a lot of mistakes, but you've made it this far, and there's a good reason to why. You have a lot of um, creativity and a lot of strengths that some people have never experienced your Your existence is important, and I, I really, really appreciate all of your support and safest, 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 safest of travels.